Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, is the Biden administration really out to ban gas-powered vehicles? The EPA denies that, but the American fuel and petrochemical manufacturers argue that there's no other way to interpret proposed strict new emissions rules. We'll take a closer look. Also this morning, highlights from last night's candidate forum between incumbent John Cross and young upstart challenger Ty Matthews in a heated GOP nomination race for the 83rd Ohio House District seat. In our community and business spotlight this morning, Ohio Means Jobs is highlighting the myriad of employment opportunities available at Blanchard Valley Health System. And happening around town, it's almost time for the annual Findlay Kiwanis Club Pancake Day fundraiser. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. They call it a silver tsunami. The U.S., it says, is entering the peak 65 zone, the largest surge of Americans turning 65 that we have ever seen. And uh, reaching the age of 65 is different for this group of individuals that are reaching that milestone as compared to those who have reached 65 in years past. Many of these late boomers are still working and healthier than their predecessors. According to Axios, financial challenges have evolved with changes in Social Security benefits and the decline of defined benefit pensions. The 65-year-olds of 2024 may need to rely on their, their own savings and navigate potential market downturns early in retirement this shift challenges traditional notions of retirement at 65. We reach that point now, they say, where the age of retirement, that standard age of retirement being 65, may or may not uh, hold true moving forward. As more individuals choose to continue working and adapting to changing financial landscapes, a silver tsunami in 2024. Kind of interesting. Isn't it? So, uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, speaking of work, check this out. The average American, according to a new survey of 2,000 Americans, the average person does $134 worth of work a day in addition to their job. <laughs> We're talking about cleaning and cooking and driving. And I mean, if you were to assign a value to all of those things that we do outside of work that could be considered work that some people are paid to do, it is an average of $134 worth of work each day in addition to their job. Currently, the average American makes $65,000 a year, uh, which is two-thirds of what they would need to feel financially free, which is kind of interesting. And this, this is kind of an, an ongoing story, especially uh, in the, in the years since the pandemic. It seems we are really focused in on you know, how much money we are making versus how much money we really need to survive. Um, $65,000 a year, just two-thirds of what people feel they need to be truly financially free. Only 21% of those who do feel financially, or excuse me, only 21% of those who feel financially restricted believe they will ever feel 
free, financially speaking. Um, Christina Roman of Experian, the financial services company, credit scoring company, says while financial freedom can be defined differently for different people, the one common denominator is that people want to live more financially empowered lives. So we're just not making enough uh, to do that. We're doing $134 worth of work a day in addition to our job. Just kind of, kind of interesting there. Uh, let's see what else is uh, going on. Speaking of work, this is uh, this is kind of interesting because, and, and we've seen this in recent years, especially since the pandemic, people uh, becoming restless and dissatisfied with their uh, with their work. I, I think the the pandemic was the time we sort of reset and that whole idea of work life balance and you know what is this rat race all about really you know kind of reprioritizing our lives and and so on and um again you get these uh, stories that we're just not making enough to be financially secure financially free and people are is, is it worth it so companies responding to this because they can't just go out and give everybody a blanket one-third raise you know pay everybody one-third more than what they're already making it's just not feasible so companies are coming up with uh, ways of trying to, uh, I don't know, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, try to uh, uh, enhance the whole work experience. You know, that's the way I want to put it. Uh, so a cloud-based security company, I thought this was kind of interesting, it's a cloud-based security company called uh, Verkata has implemented a unique employee perk. They call it the 333 program. And this is the initiative that it encourages social interaction among employees and aims to foster uh, a better work environment. Uh, the 333 program is where three or more employees can expense food and drinks if they go out together after 3 p.m. Three or more employees after 3 p.m., and each person can expense up to thirty dollars. So three, three, three. Uh, according to Business Insider, this is a very popular program at uh, Verkata. Uh, eighteen hundred employees at the company, and all eighteen hundred have joined the program at least once. It's pretty impressive participation there. Verkata places importance on in-person work, and has faced controversies such as requiring employees to return to the office five days a week. Uh, even during the pandemic, um, the company valued at three and a half billion dollars and has experienced significant growth, opening five new offices in 2023. Uh, so they're apparently doing something right, despite uh, some of the uh, controversies that have uh, that other companies have have gotten pushback for. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. It's the three 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 initiative: three employees or more. Going out together after 3 p.m. can expense up to $30 each. I don't know, just something uh, to uh, think about there. You own a business, might want to consider maybe adapting that to your own needs, so on and so forth. But for what it's worth, and uh, a couple of other items here. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. We just finished up the football season. It started the NASCAR race season yesterday. Do you see the end of that race? It's crazy, as it always is at Daytona. But uh, anyway, we just finished the football season. 
with the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago. And uh, new data is out, finds that the drunkest fans in the NFL, (laughs) the drunkest fans in the NFL are fans of the Tennessee Titans. Congratulations, Titans. You might not have been in the Super Bowl, but you are number one on this list, according to Backtrack data. They used uh, data from 28,000 breathalyzer tests on game days (laughs) to determine which fans have the highest blood alcohol content levels. (laughs) And the average Titan fan had a uh, blood alcohol content of (laughs) 0.093. So legally intoxicated and number one on the list. Number two on the list, Pittsburgh Steelers fans at .088. So there's number one and number two. I don't know uh, on the list beyond that. I don't know where the Browns fans uh, are. Uh, They certainly have reason to drink (laughs) most years. So you would think that they would have to be right up there. Um, The most sober fans, and you talk about, uh, team fan bases that have reason to drink the most sober fans among the most sober fans the washington commanders and the new york giants and you would think if there were you know fan bases that <laughs> needed to go out for a drink during football season it'd be the washington commanders and the new york giants but they're among the most sober fan- fans and of course the kansas city chiefs uh which if you're dominating the league like they are you want to be sober to see it so i guess i can I can see, I can see that. But interesting, the most the drunkest fans in the NFL. That's America right there. That's America. <laughs> and uh, another list, and this is um, certainly relevant. Uh, a new report on the nation's worst pothole problems. This was in USA Today. They say that Washington State is tops when it comes to reporting the nation's worst potholes. First on the list, Washington, followed by Minnesota, Michigan at number three. And again, if you've ever driven to Michigan, I can I could close my eyes. If, I'm, if, if we go to Michigan and my wife is driving, I can close my eyes and I can tell immediately when we cross the border from Ohio to Michigan. <laughs> You know, you know immediately when that is, uh, because suddenly it's a much rougher ride. Uh, Michigan, number three on the list of uh, worst potholes in the nation, Tennessee and Indiana rounding out the top five. Um, The report goes on to say pothole bills cost the state on average $457 each to repair. This is in Washington State, number one on the list, $475 or $457 each to repair Overall repairs associated with the problem uh, are up 57% nationwide, uh, which just, uh, again, reiterates the story that we've heard numerous times in the news that uh, we have a deteriorating infrastructure, and there is a perfect uh, example. So there you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your uh, Tuesday morning started. Before we move on, I do need to uh, issue a a correction, something that we were talking about yesterday. I want to make sure that we uh, correct uh, something that we uh, said yesterday. We were speaking on yesterday's program with longtime Findlay City Council member Jim Slough, 
talking about his decision to step away uh, from city council, where he served for more than two decades, and instead uh, run for a seat on the Central Committee. And we erroneously referred to it as the State Central Committee uh, that Jim Slough was running for, and that is incorrect. He is actually uh, running for a seat on the Hancock County Republican Central Committee. So the the County Central Committee, not the State Central Committee, two different things. And uh, we just we worded it poorly and uh, ended up giving the impression that he was running for a, a statewide Central Committee uh, seat and and not uh, role in the uh, Hancock County Central Committee. So I wanted to make sure that we uh, issued that correction and uh, cleared that up. Very uh, poor wording on our part. So there you go. Uh, you will see Jim Slough's name on the ballot in March. Uh, it just will be uh, at the countywide Central Committee, not the statewide Central Committee. So make mention of that. Uh, that will get your Tuesday morning started here. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny skies today, a high around 50. Mostly clear tonight, uh, low in the mid-30s. The Finley Police Department is requesting help from the public in identifying a fraud theft suspect. Police say the man in the surveillance picture you can see on our website is believed to have cashed several payroll checks at an area business, and those checks were later found to be fraudulent. Anybody with information is urged to call the Finley Police Department or message them on Facebook or contact Crime Stoppers. Tipsters may be eligible for a reward. The Finley Fire Department is reminding people that they install smoke detectors and perform home safety surveys. It's that simple. You just call the fire department or the Red Cross. We'll give you three free smoke detectors. We'll install them for you. And this goes for the county, too. Red Cross has volunteers that will go out into the county. We, as, as Finley Fire, can't go out into the county and install them, but the Red Cross has volunteers that will take care of that. Fire Inspector Eric Wilkins says anyone who wants to schedule the installation of smoke detectors or a home safety survey should contact the Finley Fire Department's Fire Prevention Bureau, and we have that contact information in the story on our website. Ohio's primary election is coming up in March. Early voting for the primary begins this week. Tuesday is the deadline for you to register to vote. Then, on Wednesday, early in-person and absentee ballot voting starts. If you're voting in person, you can do so at your county board of elections office. Then, the Ohio primary election is March 19th. I'm Colin Dorsey. WFIN has been holding candidate forums to get you familiarized with the candidates as the March 19th primary approaches. On Monday night, we heard from the Republican candidates in the 83rd District of the Ohio House of Representatives, incumbent John Cross and challenger Ty Matthews. If you missed it live, you can listen back to the forum in the story on our website. We have two more upcoming forums on WFIN. The next one will be on February 26th and feature the candidates for Hancock County Sheriff. And then on March 4th, a forum will be held with the candidates for Hancock County Commissioner. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, for about a year now, the Environmental Protection Agency has been working on crafting new standards on vehicle emissions that everyone agrees will be the toughest ever set forth by the government. What no one seems to agree on is the impact this would have on vehicle manufacturers, on energy companies, and ultimately on consumers. Proponents 
claim there is nothing in the new rules that bans vehicles powered by internal combustion engines. But critics argue that is disingenuous at best. Chet Thompson is president and CEO of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, the uh, the energy industry's leading trade group. Mr. Thompson, why do you call this proposed policy a de facto ban on gas-powered vehicles? Well, let me start off by saying thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, look, this is uh, a ban, a de facto ban, and anyone who says it isn't isn't being honest you know, with consumers. This administration is pursuing two regulations. One is authorizing California and 12 other states that follow California to outright ban the sale of new gas and diesel power cars starting in 2035. Outright ban, uh, unequivocal. The other regulation would set a national standard, which by EPA's own analysis would re- would require 70% of all new vehicles to be electric. So together, I mean, these are absolutely well, banning the sale of new gas and, and diesel power cars. I, now, what do the regulations use the word ban? No, because, you know, they're smarter than that. What they're doing is setting emission standards as your opening said, that are so stringent that they can only be met by electric vehicles. But it's a ban just the same way the ban of incandescent light bulb. So I don't want to nitpick here, but uh, the the rules being proposed by the EPA in terms of emission standards don't spell out that a set number of vehicles have to be electric. Although, uh, in fairness, the EPA's own estimates say that roughly two-thirds of new vehicles sold by the next decade would likely have to be electric in order for car makers to be in compliance with the proposed emission standards. They're doing this all through emissions rules. That, that's, that's correct. And like you said, their own analysis shows uh, that 70% of all new cars would have to be electric because of these standards. The other important thing uh, that they're doing here, Chris, is you know, they're doing this in a way that very few consumers know anything about it. And what we're finding, for example, in Ohio is, you know, 84% of people that are, are saying they have heard zero or little bit about this. But when they find out about what this administration is doing, overwhelmingly people oppose it. 66% of all voters in Ohio oppose it because they know that it's bad for consumers. They know it's bad for economies. And it's bad for our national security. And it's it's bad for, you know, for Toledo and the folks that, you know, work at the Stellantis plant there, who's already announced 1,200 layoffs in part because of the shift away from gas cars to electric vehicles. Now, I, I, I think it, it, you're, you're correct in that analysis in that people don't realize just how uh, dramatic these increases in fuel economy standards would be and emission standards would be. This is not the first time that we've seen these standards uh, been raised, but this is something more aggressive than we have ever seen before. That's correct. I mean, normally the standards are done and, and we support improving, you know, fuel efficiency. Well, we, you know, cars today, 99% more efficient today than they were just a couple decades ago. What we oppose is when the standards are set in a way that are intentionally designed to ban one 
type of in a powertrain, which these this is unequivocally what these rules are designed to do. That you know these rules should be set in a way that continue to allow for gas vehicles to to get cleaner, more efficient, and instead they set these rules in a way that force these technologies to, to convert to. Uh, you know, to, to become electric. And that's not something that's the American way. That's not something that's good for consumers. I, I think it's a it's a great point. I think if you ask most Americans if they believe making vehicles of all types cleaner and more fuel efficient, you'd find widespread support. But clearly, and and the data shows this, the sales figure shows this, uh, consumers don't seem ready to adopt EVs at anything close to the rate that would be necessary by these rules. What is most interesting, based on some of the numbers you put forth here, is that with a presidential election coming later this year, this could become a key issue for voters in 2024. Well, we expect that that it will, because, again, we're seeing all across the country, but we're and particularly in the seven bellwether states that are going to be really critical for the upcoming elections. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that these proposals are really, really unpopular. But let me also say something to react to something you just said, Chris, and that is, look, it's a false choice to say that if you want your cars cleaner, that you have to go to electric. Like I said, cars today are are cleaner than they were 99 percent cleaner than they were just a couple of decades ago. Uh, We are uh, investing in renewable fuels, cleaner fuels. So we're pushing for cars to continue to get cleaner. We're saying that all technology should be able to compete. That's the American way. Set a goal. Let, you know, American ingenuity solve the problem. It's not going to be solved. It's never solved by people in Washington putting their finger, their thumb on the scale and picking one technology over another. Never works out. You you, you mentioned something and I want to have you uh, elaborate on uh, with respect to the implications for national security. What would be, what do you see as the national security implications of rules like this? Well, look, as a country right now, we're blessed with incredible natural resources, gas, oil. We have the best refining facilities in the world, the cleanest in the world. So we're able to supply the gas and diesel our country needs. By the way, we're also able to help supply our allies during this time of worldwide turmoil. Uh, but we're going to trade all that through forced electrification to the Chinese because right now China dominates the supply chain for batteries and the minerals required to make batteries. Mm-hmm. We think it's a really bad idea to trade our hard fought and won energy security dependence on China. Well, one could certainly make the argument that at a bare minimum, if you wanted to uh, push a ban on internal combustion engines, that shouldn't be done until we can manufacture the majority, if not the vast majority of batteries in this country. I mean, that right there, uh, one would think would be a convincing argument. Now, obviously, you have been following this very closely. As we said, these uh, rules have been in the works for roughly a year or so. What is the timeline on this? And when will we know if the EPA is going to move forward uh, with, with these? Well, uh, right now, Chris, these, these regulations are going through final review by the administration. We're expecting final decisions uh, to be rendered sometime in, in the next 
few weeks or, or certainly by the summer. So now's the time for action. You know, we think people should weigh in. If you support the ban, say so. If you don't support the ban, then it's time for policymakers to know where people are. We urge your listeners to go to don'tbanourcars.com. You can find more information and you can find ways to, you know, to weigh in on this important topic. That's all we want. We want to make sure that folks in Ohio know what's being debated, know what's at stake, and then weigh in however they want to weigh in. Again, Chet Thompson is president and CEO of the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, the energy industry's leading trade group. Mr. Thompson, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. As a postscript, by the way, it is worth pointing out that auto manufacturers, auto dealers, and even the UAW all stand with the AFPM in opposing these new EPA emission standards, calling them unrealistic. And yesterday, the New York Times reported that the EPA, under the direction of the Biden administration, is now considering revising not the emission standards or targets, but revising the timeline for compliance at a base at a, at a bare minimum. The the latest projection uh, is that the rules, in whatever form they ultimately take, are not likely to be in place until next month at the earliest, so stay tuned. More information at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. So last night, it was the most highly anticipated candidate forum of this election cycle. Discussion between, a spirited discussion it was, between incumbent John Cross and young upstart challenger Ty Matthews in a heated GOP nomination race for the 83rd Ohio House District seat. And as expected, there were fireworks early and often. The candidates sparring over tax policy, education, abortion, and last year's vote for House Speaker. In case you missed it yesterday evening, here is part of the back and forth, which started as a discussion about the controversy surrounding House Bill 2. First of all, I want to say I am not against grant money. I hope those tax dollars come to our district. I really do. But nothing is secured. That process still has to go through the Senate, and it has to go to the governor. What the House and Senate agreed to, because my opponent wasn't in the room, but, but the finance chairman of the Senate, the finance chairman of the House were in the room, and the deal was, we'll split it in half. The Senate gets 350, the House gets 350, and we'll start to work on capital budget-like projects. So the good news is we passed House Bill 2, and that's a real, live, living document. And I cannot wait this summer to bring big checks back home and bring your money back home. And I hope they receive their funding. And to go back to what my opponent just said, there is a memo out here. And it's not, this isn't even my words. This is dated February 7th, 2024, from Senate President Matt Huffman. Quote, to be clear, there is no such agreement. The bill passed by the House did not include negotiations or discussions with members of the Senate or with the Senate president. What my opponent is doing is he's falling for the traps. First, when you go to the Ohio House, you don't work for the Ohio Senate. President Huffman can write memos all day long, but I don't pay attention to them because it's the business of the House to debate and argue and fight for what the Senate may agree or disagree. Senator McCauley and I have a great working relationship. Doesn't mean we always agree on things, but we work ourselves, we work things out. We will get this done. We've delivered results since I've been there for six years, putting politics aside 
and, and getting people's money back home. This is what it's all about. There have been accusations that House Bill 2 played favorites with funding projects in districts that supported Jason Stevens in his bid for House Speaker over Derek Marin. Ms. Cross, you were among those who supported Mr. Stevens in that vote, a move that angered many hardline conservatives. Jason Stevens is a great conservative leader for the House, and the reason why we wanted to back him is, is because we knew we would have an adult in the room that had the maturity and the foresight to make sure that they could lead the Ohio House. Being Speaker of the House is, is certainly not an easy job, something that I thought about doing myself, but then did not do and, and, and backed uh, uh, Mr. Stevens to be the Speaker. And I'll tell you why he's the right person for our district is because he, he cares about Northwest Ohio. Of the five members of the House leadership team, there are two members from Northwest Ohio. Jim Hoops, who serves as the majority whip from from uh, Napoleon area, Northwest Ohio, and myself as the assistant majority leader. To have your member of the House serve in leadership puts you all at the table where the decisions are going to be made, where the money decisions are going to be made, the policy decisions are going to be made. We don't give participation trophies away in the Ohio House. To say that there are 16 counties that that I don't know how many legislative districts that would be because, you know, certain some counties are, are uh, multiple counties per district. But I thought we did a very nice job uh, spreading the money uh, wisely and well throughout Ohio. And there's a lot to unpack right here. Again, look up the facts. Democrats only control 32 of the seats and virtually every single member received funding. Those 16 counties, there are people that didn't support Jason Stevens. Every single person that is being challenged, every incumbent that's being challenged, received a large amount of this money. And 16 counties received nothing. Absolutely, I would have supported Derek Marin. Why? Because I'm a man of my word. If I give you my word in caucus that I'm going to vote a certain way, and you go on the floor, and you betray the party, you betray our community, you get censured by the Ohio Republican Party, and you lose the Ohio Republican Party endorsement. And that's what happened to my opponent. Quite frankly, I'm tired of politicians saying one thing and doing another. And again, you, we want to say this is all political maneuvering. The reason why he has leadership position is because of this political maneuvering. This is the first time, I believe, in history that state, sitting state representatives have been censured by the Ohio Republican Party. They just lost their party endorsement. I, I don't believe it's a speaker issue. I believe it's an issue on integrity and what I see out of our elected officials. First, we didn't lose any endorsement. Okay, the Republican Party at a county level does not endorse in a primary, and at the state level, they decided not to endorse legislative candidates. They also didn't endorse Jim Hoops and our assistant majority whip, who were, had nothing to do with who's voting for speaker or not voting for speaker. Again. When words matter, I just asked my opponent, he thinks he's going to tell one side of the story of what happened at the state Republican Party. The, the, the endorsements that matter to me are the Ohio Right to Life endorsement, the Ohio Chamber endorsement, the uh, Buckeye Firearms Association endorsement, the NRA endorsement, the National uh, Small Business endorsement. Those organizations and those memberships are the only ones that endorse me in this race. So if you want to worry about whether a state party did or didn't endorse in candidates, what I like to talk about is my record of work and the people seeing my record of work and those organizations and those memberships uh, endorsing my race. That's, I'm proud to have those endorsements and the only candidate in this race to have those endorsements. Again, I'll ask, this is the first time in history any of this has happened. 
That's a big deal when the Ohio Republican Party votes not to endorse an incumbent. Again, I, I stand by what I said. Look it up. Again, I would then ask the Ohio Right to Life endorsement. I would ask my opponent, why is he not endorsed by the local party? The, excuse me, the local Right to Life crowd. I have the endorsement of the Ohio Right to Life Coalition with the support of the local Right to Life Coalition. So yes, we can tout our endorsements, and I'm proud to tout my endorsements, and I'm sure you're going to be very impressed with one coming down the road. But again, I'm not here to talk endorsements. I'm here to talk about how we can serve the community, and I'm proud to have my community endorsements with these value-driven organizations. Let me explain something on the endorsement. The Ohio Right to Life Organization, they've endorsed, in some races, two candidates both the incumbent and the non-incumbent. In this race, I think he's, my opponent's not being very truthful, they did not endorse my opponent in this race because of his statements that he made on medical freedom. There's a document that was floating around about how he is for choice. He is for medical choice. And, and that doesn't sound like a very pro-life statement to me. So, so I'm not familiar with the local chapters. I, I'm, the only local chapter I know is there's a local Toledo, Ohio Right to Life chapter. There is no Hancock County Ohio Right to Life chapter, but the state organization has made a clear difference between me being the pro-life candidate who has supported the heartbeat bill, has supported pro-family and pro-adoption legislation on record voting, and my opponent, my opponent putting out pro-choice statements from the Medical Freedom Association, whoever they are, and whatever liberal organization that is. So there's a real difference between who's endorsing who in this race when it comes to pro-life we are the pro-life candidate in this race. We talk about experience, and I'm shocked that this is the amount of experience that I'm hearing tonight is the Ohio. When we talk about medical freedom, that is talking about your choice to whether you vaccinate your child or not. So to make that sound like that it, this is a choice of a pro-life a pro issue, I mean, you just got to do your research. The medical freedom is about you making the decision for your child on whether they can receive a vaccine or not. And I'm sorry for the folks out there that are involved with the local Right to Life community out here. I do see you, and I am your voice. Well, there is a lot of ground covered in that brief exchange, just a small snippet of the conversation. You can view the entire forum from last night between John Cross and Ty Matthews on the WFIN Facebook page at 1330 WFIN on Facebook, which we have linked up on our website at goodmornings.net. And, of course, our series of candidate forums continues this coming Monday evening with the three individuals running for Hancock County Sheriff. And then a week from Monday, featuring the Republican candidates for Hancock County Commissioner. The forums happen Mondays at 5 p.m. at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts and will air live on air and online. 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, 95.5 FM, and of course on the WFIN Facebook page. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Putting Ohio Means Jobs in the spotlight this morning, highlighting various employment opportunities around the community. And this morning, we're speaking with Tammy Reisner. She is a recruiter for Blanchard Valley Health System, which, Tammy, when you think of Blanchard Valley Health System, obviously the first thing that comes to the mind is the hospital, but so much more than just at the hospital itself. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me in this morning. Um, we are in eight counties surrounding Hancock. We provide a lot of different services with over 3,200 employees. 
Uh, if you think we have, obviously, the hospital in Finley, Bluffton. We have two long-term care facilities, Birchhaven Retirement Independence House in Faustoria. Mm-hmm. Hanko EMS is part of our organization. And then we have surgery centers, the three surgery centers also. So one of the advantages is, you know, when we talk about uh, job opportunities uh, that are out there, it really doesn't matter where you are. If you think, oh, well, you know, but I can't, I don't want to drive to Finley every day to go to the hospital. Yeah. You know, there are many opportunities in, in communities that are close by to just about everybody. Absolutely. We have approximately 30 medical locations in those smaller mm, communities goodness. that we can provide services from primary care to some specialty care, lab work, some of those uh, services as well. So yes, anything from Carrie's one of our newer medical locations, mm-hmm. North Baltimore and Macomb, Ottawa. Yeah. So. Um, and then the other thing that uh, people might think when we talk about Blanchard Valley Health System is that these are all um, health-related uh, uh, professional uh, careers, and certainly you hire a number of those, but there are all kinds of employment opportunities that are available for, for those who have never worked in the medical profession before and have nothing really to do directly with, uh, with medical. That's true. I mean, obviously, we're going to always have RN and LPN positions, sure. patient care techs, medical assistants, but we also have positions that are non-clinical that would be uh, registration, billing and coding, patient accounting, secretaries, especially in the medical practices. We need the MAs and care coordinators. And then, you know, even support services. I mean, it's just as important because everyone touches our patients when they come in. In one way or another, even when we look at housekeeping, dietary, maintenance, transportation, um, you know, it's just there's so many positions out there. That yeah. We should have something that fits fits everyone. Yeah, and uh, in fact, Blanchard Valley Health System, one of the area's largest employers, mm-hmm. and so for all of those positions that we were just mentioning and more. Uh, you're you're constantly hiring. I mean, you know, sometimes when we uh, put Ohio Means Jobs in the spotlight and highlight some of these employment opportunities, there's something specific that a, a company is looking for. You're just kind of putting the word out there that these uh, employment opportunities are always available and on a, almost a constantly rotating basis. Yes, that's absolutely true. You, you think of, like, like I said, nursing, radiology, respiratory mm-hmm. care, pharmacy, there, all of these departments have opportunities. And, of course, if we don't have something posted right now, you can sign up for job alerts by going to our career page. Just go to the Talent Network, sign up, and if something's posted tomorrow, you're going to get an email alert, and you can apply right from there. It's very simple. Because, uh, quite literally, those uh, job availabilities can change day to day. They absolutely and if can. somebody is maybe looking to make a change sometime uh, down the line, mm-hmm. and maybe not immediately, uh, you can sign up for the job alerts that way as well. So how do folks apply for uh, openings that may be available? You can go to the Blanchard Valley Health System main uh, website and there is a link right on the front page careers. You click in there and there'll be multiple search options to help you find what you're looking for. Uh, resume is not required but you know you can upload a resume or just complete an application. And there are a number of benefits uh, to working to Blanchard, uh, working for Blanchard Valley Health System as well. That's absolutely true. Uh, We do have, even for college students, we have many positions available that they can work while they're in school. Uh, Some clinical experience, which is great hands-on. But we also have a great uh, benefits package for our uh, employees with vacation, sick time, um, 
benefits, competitive pay, and a, a variety of different shift options and you know, days. Not, not everybody wants to work five days a week. So we have right. a lot of different options out there for people that helps them find their work-life balance. So a lot of flexibility in terms of hours, locations, mm-hmm. uh, different opportunities. This really should be uh, on your list if you are looking for a position to uh, check out what is available. And because, as we said, this is uh, more uh, kind of an ongoing thing, uh, again, a lot of times we talk about deadlines to apply. Uh, this is an ongoing, so... Absolutely. Always going every day, and I encourage you to sign up for those job alerts. Again, uh, Tammy Reisner is a recruiter with Blanchard Valley Health System. Uh, In the spotlight this morning, courtesy of Ohio Means Jobs, highlighting employment opportunities in the community. And again, mention the website where folks can get more information on what may be available and what may be available in the future. Right. Blanchard Valley Health System. Go to the Career tab, and you'll see our positions listed there, and we hope that you will apply with us. Tammy, thanks very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Dateline, Houston, Texas, where Mitchell Cooper has been accused of walking into antique stores and putting items up his kilt (laughs) and then putting those products back on the shelves. Cops say that uh, Mr. Cooper entered the antique gallery of Houston and placed a makeup brush and a hardware piece up his kilt. He then performed similar acts at the curiosity shop with an antique bottle opener. Ooh, that must have been painful. <laughs> that would, you had to be very careful uh, doing things like that. The curiosity shop, a little bit more curiosity than they bargained for there. Store owners say that the impacted merchandise had to be discarded uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, Mr. Cooper is charged last week and faces... A court appearance in late February. Wonder if he'll wear his kilt. Uh, Elsewhere elsewhere in the broken news. Now, this is interesting. You know that in this country, we've been debating the border wall for many, many years. Uh, In Norway, they are considering a fence on their border with Sweden. It is not an issue of... Uh, an influx of undocumented immigrants, though. What they are trying to prevent is a, a, a wave of boars crossing the border. <laughs> and they, they are building a wall to keep the wild boars out. Uh, apparently, there's been an outbreak of swine fever in the past year. The wild boar population in Sweden is estimated to be about 300,000. And in Norway, they say if we get swine fever, it will have major consequences for those involved in pig production and also place major restrictions on the ability to hunt, as according to Agriculture and Food Minister Geir Polstad. Another possible solution, if the wall doesn't work, would be allowing the sale of wild boar meat 
to increase hunting of the animal. So <laughs> keep those wild boars out in Norway. <laughs> uh, let's see. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news. Now this seems like, I, I, I don't know. Is it worth it? Woman is facing charges of aggravated menacing and making terroristic threats following an incident in Dover, Delaware over the weekend. State police say it happened Saturday after 43-year-old Jennifer Neal got into an argument with her neighbor. The victim had reportedly been using a power cord, which he says Ms. Neal unplugged and began to take into her house. He claims when he yanked on the cord, she brandished a pair of scissors and threatened to kill him over a power cord. Uh, Troopers later tracked her down and took her into custody. She now uh, faces uh, those charges, aggravated menacing and making a terroristic threat, which those don't sound like just minor infractions. I don't know if those are are technically felonies or not, but you got to think that those... Uh, she could be facing some serious jail time over a power cord. Wow. I don't know. Is it worth it? A power cord. Uh, elsewhere in the, uh, broken news, <laughs> you, I, I don't admire criminals. I mean, you can't really admire criminals, but sometimes you do have to appreciate their enthusiasm, if nothing else. Case in point, a recent ex-con is now facing additional jail time after stealing a truck hauling 10 Chevy Corvettes valued at over one and a quarter million dollars from an Arizona truck stop. (laughs) Why steal just one car when you can steal 10 of them? I... (laughs) You just have to appreciate the ambition, if nothing else. Um, Isaiah Walker, age 23, is accused of hijacking the truck and leading police on a reckless chase before finally pulling over to the side of the road. When questioned by police, the suspect revealed it wasn't the sports cars he was after, necessarily. He said he had just been released from prison and he needed the truck to get home. He needed the truck to get home from prison. The chief of police, Dale Hadfield, said in a statement shared on the sheriff's uh, sheriff's office Facebook page that the stolen vehicle was safely recovered without damage and was released back to the driver so he could continue his delivery. Uh, Mr. Walker was booked into the uh, Cochise County Jail, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, Lawton... Uh, or in uh, uh, Arizona, uh, Mr. Walker is a native of Lawton, Oklahoma. He now faces uh, multiple felony charges, including robbery, 11 counts of theft, <laughs> and felony theft. <laughs> so, now, why just steal one vehicle when you can steal, well, 10 of them and the, the uh, car carrier that it was, it was hauling them? Now, that is a full rich day right there. That is pretty ambitious. 
And finally, in the, he would have been better waiting for the truck to be unloaded than taking one of the Corvettes, you know. As, and then uh, finally, in the broken news this morning, the story of Donald Bennett, Doc, they call him, who spent over 30 years in prison for a string of bank robberies in the 1980s, who recently proved that he is still going strong at the age of 83. But, you know, when you get older, you lose a step. Uh, Doc has landed back in prison after knocking off at least seven more banks since his release from prison. Mr. Bennett uh, is uh, sometimes called the Leaping Bandit, or at least back in his heyday, he was called the Leaping Bandit. I guess because he leapt over the uh, counters of the banks. I don't think he does that anymore at the age of 83. Um, He was released from prison in 2020, it says here, after serving 31 years of a 50-year sentence after being convicted in 1989 of multiple bank robberies in the Chicago area, according to the FBI. But it seems Mr. Bennett may have lost a step from uh, his leaping days. Investigators managed to identify that. and investigators managed to identify him and his accomplice in this latest string of bank heists because, because they used their real names and real ID to rent getaway cars that were used in the robberies. <laughs> the most recent robbery, a Valentine's Day heist at a Chase Bank in Hickory Hill, uh, according to the complaint. He's, he's, he's lost a step. He used his real name and real ID. I don't know, maybe he wanted to be caught. <laughs> there you go. That is to, to rent a getaway car. <laughs> Love that. There you go. That is uh, today's Broken News Report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Do you know an exceptional teacher who's made a positive impact in your life or the life of a student? It's time to shine a bright spotlight on these educational heroes with the Finley Rotary Golden Apple Awards. Nominate your favorite teacher from Finley or Hancock County online at finleyrotary.org before April 5th. Nominate an outstanding educator for the Golden Apple Awards. Make a difference. Honor a teacher by visiting finleyrotary.org today. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We know that uh, the past several years, it's been a uh, an employee's market. The job market has swung in favor of workers uh, who have a lot of leverage these days, a lot of open positions, uh, businesses looking to hire, having trouble finding qualified employees, and so becomes uh, very much a an employee's market. And maybe that's the reason why a new survey by employment website Indeed finds that job ghosting is on the rise. Now, this was uh, this kind of blew my mind until again you start to think you know employees workers have kind of the upper hand in the job market these days uh and apparently a growing number of people are taking advantage of that 75 percent of workers 75 percent admit to having ignored a prospective employer in the past year 
Uh, we're, we're so confident in the job market, we can, you know, jobs are plentiful, we can get any job, that we can, impl- we can ignore uh, prospective employers. According to Fortune Magazine, Gen Z is the worst offender. 93% of Gen Zers admitted to ghosting a job interview. You set it up and then you just don't show. Uh, and, and even beyond that, even beyond the interview, 87% of Gen Z candidates have accepted a job offer, signed a contract, and then failed to show up on day one. Now, the, re- the reason that they often give for pulling that kind of a stunt is a desire to feel in charge of their career. Well, if by in charge you mean getting fired on your first day, then I guess so. The uh, trend is making hiring more difficult for businesses with over half of them reporting increased challenges due to ghosting. Uh, And interestingly, this is a separate survey, but related in a way, a Glassdoor survey of 2,600 people found that users were split on what was more exhausting dating or interviewing <laughs> because you know ghosting started in the in the dating scene and now uh, it's it's uh it's gone into the uh, work uh, which is more exhausting dating or interviewing split right down the uh, the middle uh, although women were more likely to say that dating was more tiring is it by the way it is uh there there is a this works both ways uh, a lot of employees in the survey say that they have been ghosted by a potential employer that they've tried to follow up with. You know, they've interviewed for a job, they've applied, they've interviewed. In some cases, they've even been told they got the job, but when they try and reach out and find out when do I start, what do I need to do, give me all of the details, the employer uh, ghosts them as well. So it is a bit of a two-way street. So finally this morning, happening around town, the Findlay Kiwanis Club Pancake Day fundraisers almost here. Uh, Jeremy Strapp, Brian Bauman uh, with us in the studio this morning. And we were just uh, talking before we went on the air. This is I always enjoy talking about the uh, uh, Kiwanis Club pa- Pancake Day event because it's another sure sign that spring is right it's around almost the corner. Here. It's yeah. almost here. It's almost here, right. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you were saying, though, this uh, it's actually a little bit earlier than it's yeah. been years past. Yeah, it's about a week earlier. Normally, it's sometime in the middle of uh, uh, March, but this year it is the first weekend of March. It's March 2nd, okay. uh, which is next Saturday uh, from 7 a.m. until 1 p.m. at Finley High School, just like in the past. But uh, one one interesting part this year, and I, I don't know if this ever happened before in the history of our club, but this is March second. It's also the birthday of our club. It really? was it the 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 uh, it was founded uh, back, and the charter was given to us back on uh, March second, nineteen twenty. So we're celebrating one hundred and four years this year. Wow! So we're going to have a party. You're going to have a uh, big party. Big party. Talk a little bit about what uh, Kiwanis does. Uh, for those who are not familiar, I mean, we've all heard of the Kiwanis Club, uh, but what is it that is the mission of the Kiwanis? So it, really, we do things like Kiwanis Pancake Day because it all goes back to the kids of Finley and Hancock County uh, through um, our, our, our program, uh, Kiwanis Closets, whereby uh, certain kids, uh, whether they have a spill or or, or whatever an that day, they cool. an accident, they can uh, they can come and they can get uh, pants, shirt, socks, underwear. Yeah, but yeah. also, um, it's a little more than that in that 
if they're in need, they can go and get those clothes, yeah. no questions asked. Yeah. Um, but we're also pretty uh, proud of the uh, Brook Locker uh, Memorial Park over by the Little Red Schoolhouse. We, we do that. Um, I, I certainly, as a kid, I remember going to the Little Red Schoolhouse, right. you know, on the field trips. Um, but it, it's sort of it, – it's um, – we have a, a shelter house there where they can have their lunch. Mm-hmm. They can have recess on the park. It's it's sort of an all you know kind of inclusive and, uh, experience for the kids, and, and we're pretty proud of it. Um, yeah. Of course, in, in honor of uh, uh, Mr. Brooklocker, a longtime secretary uh, of our club and uh, a board member at the Hancock County uh, Historical Society, because that ground is owned by the Historical Society. Yeah. So yeah. we 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 developed the park four years ago for a hundredth anniversary mm-hmm. um, as a gift to the city and to the county. Uh, community so uh, it's it's a great way to, to give back and and all of our funds that we generate through uh through uh pancake day and some of the other uh, purse bingo is another big fundraiser we have throughout mm-hmm. the year and that's in the summertime all those funds go right back to the community right back to the kids and there's more than just uh all you can eat pancake and sausage which is you know one of the obviously the big draw yeah. of pancake day you've got some other stuff going on oh uh, yeah absolutely we'll, yeah absolutely we'll, we'll have we'll have a kids zone uh, which is always a fun time uh different uh, different groups will come in to, to, to have fun with the kids uh we'll have a 50 50 drawing uh, we'll uh, i think we're going to be doing uh, pancakes and sausage this year this is a fun game that we we do every year at uh, purse bingo um it's a little fundraiser we have throughout the day and it's it's going to be a lot of fun where you, you get to pick sides, you know, and, and uh, either either you, you, you see your pancake or your sausage and, and then uh, you flip a coin. And it's a fun game, okay. um, a lot All of right. fun that will bring that into the, uh, the the event as well. So a lot of fun things going on that day. And uh, you have a uh, raffle going on? Uh, yeah, be a, well? yeah, be a 50-50 as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and, and again, it's 7 to 1. You can come whenever. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and stay for as long as you like. That's right. Uh, and uh, and hang out. How many, how many people does it take to pull off uh, an event like this? <laughs> A small army. Yeah, uh, it's a small army. There, there are a lot of people in the back that uh, that don't get seen on Pancake yeah. Day, yeah. And, and it's a well-oiled machine, this, yeah, for it, sure. It's all hands on deck, and not yeah. just within our club. But we 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 have uh, right. we have several service organizations that we partner with um, in our community. We have a key club, a Qantas Key Club, it's at Finley High School, mm-hmm. um, at Van Buren High School as well. Um, there's also Builders Club, which is a younger um, middle school um, uh, group that's at, at Macomb. They come and help us. The Key Club comes to help us. Blanchard Valley Center, the Action Club there, comes and helps us. We're also we've got, uh, I think, a couple of different uh, 4-H groups that are going to be stopping by to, to, to lend a hand. So it, it really is a whole hands-on deck. Yeah. And I know uh, in years past, you know, you've, you've had uh, celebrity uh, pancake oh, flippers as well. So you never know who might be flipping your pancakes, yeah, yeah, so we're, we're so kind, to speak. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're kind of excited <laughs> this year um, with, of course, it being our uh, club's birthday on March 2nd, but Ohio's birthday on March 1st. Uh, we'll have both Representative Cross and uh, Senator McCauley. Uh, we'll do a little. Uh, I think we're going to do a little birthday pancake for the state of Ohio <laughs> yeah, as well yeah. for with, with those guys uh, guys around. So, yeah. uh, how do folks get tickets? Yeah, uh, let's talk this. tickets. Yep, absolutely. Tickets are available at the door, of course, uh, on the day of the event, but also uh, from your favorite Kwanian, um ahead of time. From your favorite Kwanian, you can also pick up tickets at Trends on Main, uh, AAA Finley, and Heavenly Pizza. They've okay. been great uh, partners with us over the years, so we appreciate it. Again, the uh, date is Saturday, March uh, 2nd, so uh, coming up here in uh, just a week or so, 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the uh, Findlay High School Cafeteria for the Kiwanis Club uh, uh, Pancake Day Fundraiser. 
And, you know, we mentioned, you know, celebrating the anniversary of the club's more than 100 years. Uh, that doesn't happen without great members, and you're always looking for more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and please join us. Uh, our, we meet on Wednesdays at noon at uh, St. Mark's, the dock, um, and, and it's, it is open to the public. So stop on out. Um, um, anyone can uh, uh, join us and, uh, and see what we're all about. It's, it's the most fun meeting in town. We really do have a good time every week. We've got a link up for more information at our webpage about the Kiwanis Club and about the uh, Pancake Day fundraiser uh, on March 2nd. And again, uh, Jeremy Strapp and Brian Bowman, thanks very much, gentlemen. Thanks, Chris. Uh, yep, thanks, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, goodmornings.net. Check us out our little corner of the World Wide Web there. Coming up tomorrow morning on the program, we continue our crime prevention conversation series with more on the growing problem of dating scams and catfishing on social media. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.